all projections say that the skills crisis is going to continue, whether you're listening to the World Economic Forum or, or, or anybody else. This is not something that has passed this peak. We are at the start or perhaps towards the middle of an ongoing skills crisis. So whatever the specific skills are that you care about, now is the time to be getting a grip on those. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking, and achieve significant HR success. Hello and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Day, CEO at JGA Recruitment Group, and we are specialist HR recruiters. And interestingly, right now, I think you can all agree there is a skills crisis. As the global economy and industries change at rapid pace, people and businesses are being left behind because they lack the right capabilities and skills. I see this every single day in my role as CEO of the recruitment firm JJ Recruitment. However, I also recognize that winning the skills war is not an easy one, but the gap can be closed. And although I appreciate the HR listeners who tune into this podcast every single episode will say this is a complex challenge to solve, Nick. What can we do? Well, that's why I'm excited to bring to you today's guest, Simon Haynes, to the HR LD podcast. Now, Simon is the founder and CEO of Simply Get Results, a strategic skills analytics platform. However, he also supports major corporations with insights and tools to identify and more importantly, close the skills gaps to improve your abilities to hire. Now, today's show is going to be all about winning that skills war, how to gain an advantage in the market to ensure your business and of course your workforce have the right skills to thrive and grow. Now, to give you a little bit of background here, prior to setting up Simply Get Results, Simon spent 10 years with Deloitte where he conceived, created and built and in fact ran a market-leading people analytics consultancy practice. He led a global workforce planning business of over 150 people in 17 countries. Previously, he led and grew a series of HR software practices in major technology firms. He's a guest lecturer at Cranfield University and Bath University Schools of Management, a regular speaker at conferences and expert groups across the world. So we are in great company today. He's also passionate about inclusion and social mobility, which I mentioned because he's a career-ready mentor and he's currently leading innovative research to increase employability and employment experience for the neurodiverse. There'll be links in the show notes for all of these things. So do check those out. But before we go any further, let me welcome Simon to the show. How are you feeling today, Simon? Hi, Nick. Good morning. I'm feeling well. It's great to be here. I am ashamed by that lovely introduction that you've given me and uh, my greatest thanks for it. Oh, no, you're very welcome, sir. And please, please remember to go to the show notes at the end of this episode and check out some amazing links. Because today, actually, let's be honest, our listeners love hearing about cutting edge insights, war stories from major corporations and practical takeaways. And I suspect there's going to be a lot to take away from today's show. So you could all go and implement things immediately that are going to support your workforce skills journey. So let's jump into that. Before we do, though, the first question I ask all my guests is this, Simon, what do the words human resources mean to you? Well, do you know what it makes me think about, Nick, is I'm I'm afraid I've been working in the 
human capital space since the 90s. And so I've seen a bunch of rebranding over the years. And, and, and yes, this did used to be called personnel and it became human resources and perhaps increasingly organizations are calling HR their people function now. Um, Dave Ulrich's written uh, his, his next iteration of all of this, which says it's now about human capability. So what does human resources mean? I guess a way of, uh, of putting a label around all of that good stuff. Perfect. Perfect. Well, let's jump into some of that good stuff then. Tell me right off the bat, what is a skills-led organisation and why is this such a hot topic right now? Yeah, so I'd be very interested in the extent to which our listeners today have heard of the topic of a skills-led organisation or, or work in one or aspire to, because I think this is relatively new stuff. Uh, if you don't mind my, my harking back to the fact that I've been in this industry for a little while, very big initiatives have come and stayed, haven't they, in the HR world? We've had the ERP and HR systems. We've had outsourcing and offshoring and shared service centers. We've had best of breed products. We've had data analytics. They've all come and they've all stayed. And I have a hunch, I'm going to stick my neck out and say, it could be that the skills-led organization is one of those next big things. We are certainly very early in that wave. Only time will tell if it becomes as, as big and as pervasive as some of those other examples I've given you. But we've got a whole bunch of indicators that particularly mature, sophisticated organizations and bold and ambitious leaders in those big companies are embracing the idea of skills as a new and better mechanism to, frankly, make their workforce successful and relevant, make their business increasingly successful and relevant. So I guess an, an all-encompassing way of starting to embrace skills as central to how you think about people and work. Yeah, love that. And I'm, you know, there's an old cliche in the, in the recruitment world, which is there is a war for talent or a war on talents. And I think, you know, now in the post pandemic, we've never seen a, a, a more stringent war than there is right now. It's aggressive out there. And there are some real challenges in trying to get some good, you know, good talent in, in through the door. But I think we also know that the, the workforce have changed the way that they approach companies now and they want to be invested in. And I think that learning and development pathway, that journey makes this absolutely relevant uh, topic for conversation today. What I'd like to know, though, in relation to that war for talent, the, the, the skills uh, led businesses, what are kind of the key workforce challenges that HR leaders perhaps need to overcome in this post pandemic market that we're, that we're living in now, this new world of work? Well, look, I think workforce challenges and business challenges are increasingly becoming intertwined you know some of the business challenges that that organizations are looking at is obviously changed customer behaviors remote working increased reliance on technology greater greater competition but each of those fundamental forces that have expanded over the last few years have got direct workforce challenges we talked about the skills crisis the fact is that pretty much every organization in every industry now is having to look at skills differently because the demands on their workforce have changed and therefore the skills of, of, of the workforce have changed. There's economic uncertainty out there that's probably only going to increase. So that drives direct impact on the workforce in terms of, in terms of costs. Um, there is, of course, the need to continue to compete in these difficult markets, which means you need to continue to recruit and retain and engage and motivate and train and drive growth. So there's a whole bunch of parallel forces that, are, that have all come together, a sort of perfect storm. And, and to go back to, to a point I made a moment ago, increasingly, I think these big business challenges are, and workforce challenges are seen at board level as two sides of the same coin. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've um, referenced sort of HR professionals being a bit like composers. You know, there's so many different things in their agenda they've got to manage now. It's like, how do we prioritise? But there are things that are coming into the the workforce practices at the minute into business, such as tools and, and AI and and systems. I know certainly as a recruitment firm, we've had to really adapt in terms of the technologies that we have access to. We like to think we're we're cutting edge in what we utilise. We're experimenting with AI and different things at the minute. It's very very interesting. But for those HR leaders out there that perhaps aren't sure what insights or tools they could start to, to use that might give them a competitive advantage in, in winning this skills war, what might you say to them? Or, or are there such tools out there that they can access? Yeah, there really are. And I guess there's an increasing realisation and visibility that there's data and tools out there that are, that are useful. I think the, the the overarching sentiment in the market is, gosh, it's complicated, isn't it? I, I can see that there's lots of data. I can see that there's lots of tools. I'm not quite sure what, what I should do next. So as as the name Simply Get Results might suggest, we, we want to be part of, of solving that and breaking down different jobs that need done into different tools and insights that can support those jobs, trying to be very clear on the roles that are most likely to care about those, whether it's recruitment, learning and development, HR business partners, and, and certainly a, a number of business roles that are relevant to those. So, I mean, if your question was what sort of insights and tools are, are, are out there, we're talking about things like being able to track the supply and demand for skills in the market, being able to benchmark your corporation against others and understand similarities and differences and therefore where you might want to differentiate. We're talking about tools that can help you put together a skills framework or skills taxonomy really quickly and effectively. Look at the strategic end of the scale, looking at your business strategy and translating that into capabilities and skills, and then having the data and tools around capabilities and skills support all of your HR activities. Sure. And with all these different things going on within the within the HR agenda at the minute, strategically as well, what are the kind of the skills priorities that HR leaders should be looking to recruit and 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 well and retain in 2023? Yeah, I mean, we're we're finding obviously each each industry has their different flavor of the of the skills priorities, but we're we're finding that across industries we can actually group them into into probably two categories, two or three categories. One is that there are skills requirements that absolutely endure and remain the same uh, or similar. And obviously, it's very important for organizations to be clear on that. You know, whether it's 50%, 80%, or 90% of your workforce that have the right sort of skills mix and skills requirements for this year, next year, and the year after that, being clear on that only helps. You know, that, that, that helps the, the employee, the individual, the manager, the organization be clear that you've, you've got the skills that you need. Then you get into skills that are changing. And obviously, there are some big themes in terms of skills that have changed across industries. Remote working drives different needs for, for soft skills as well as technical ones. The use of technology in general is more prolific. People are having to pick up new technical skills more quickly. And then by industry, obviously, the skills demands that are changing are you know, somewhat industry by industry. Some common factors, more drive towards sustainability, ESG, net zero skills. Those are a good example of new and rare skills that organizations are struggling to get a to get a grip on. At the other end of the scale, you've got, oh, for example, an increased requirement for uh, delivery drivers that everyone's acutely aware of and yet still struggling to address. Sure, that makes sense. You mentioned there that the, the soft skills and the hard skills. Are you seeing more demand in one area than the other? Is that very much dependent on on sector? Because we're seeing technology advance so quickly, as you mentioned, it's almost impossible sometimes to find those hard skills. So the softer skills 
obviously then raise an importance. I think there's a, a general recognition, there's a lack of soft skills in relation to leadership at the minute in this new world of work as people move away from command and control into this, this culture of trust. So in, in your experience, Simon, where are you seeing that those skill gaps land more? They're landing more on the softer skills side of things, being a shortage or the hard skills, or maybe it's a mixture of the both? Yeah, well, I hope you don't mind my answer, but it's very much a mixture of, of both. And I think looking at the balance of soft skills, transferable skills and technical skills is something I would encourage everyone to do, every organization, individual and manager, regardless of seniority, because it is that balance of the things you can do technically, whether it's using the, the software in front of you, whether it's your expertise as an accountant or a lawyer or anything else, and the transferable technical and soft skills that, that counterbalance that. We have an increasing need to communicate effectively with each other in different ways. We're having to learn new communication skills. Communication skills still remains the number one skill required by any industry over sure. time. It, it, remain, it remains consistent. However, when you break communication down into different parts, what do we mean? Do we mean written communication, verbal, persuasive? Because those, those nuances are important. So I, I, I would encourage everybody to look at the balance between those because I think they're quite meaningful. A moment ago, you mentioned leadership also, and I think there's a there's a growing recognition that well, we've all experienced, haven't we? Those, that many of your listeners today will be leaders in in their own organisations, and the demands on us as leaders have changed. We have all of those challenges that every individual has, and we have to find an effective way to lead through it. So we're seeing, you know, interesting new programmes around leading through change, leading in the remote environment, and so on that that I think are going to be useful across the board. Yeah, and I'd agree with that. I think sometimes there's a reticency to take on courses because by the time the course is completed, you know, the market's moved on, and certainly in, in relation to some of the harder skills. If you were, as a, as a first actionable takeaway, should we say, from an HR manager, HR director, head of HR, listening to this at the minute, and I wanted to go down a self-development route of, of skills and, and plug a skills gap in perhaps that we're seeing I guess there's a blanket generalization here, but if there was a particular skill you could say, no, go away from this. And if you do have a shortage of this area, this is where I'd recommend you you probably explored and and, and potentially undertook a, a skills gap analysis or, or, or a training course to, 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 to fill that gap. What would that be for that particular cohort? For the most senior HR leaders, I think they're being stretched in in every which way. And I think some of the paths that senior HR leaders were already on around you know business acumen um senior level influence um strategy i think are, are more applicable than than ever um, i mentioned a little while ago that hr challenges or workforce challenges are increasingly seen as business challenges and in the boardroom so you know your ability as an hr leader to turn up reference those business challenges directly understand them inside out translate them into what that means for your workforce and translate that into into actions that are required to make sure your workforce has the skills to deliver strategy i would pick on that cluster of stuff yeah no that's that's, that's great feedback i think there's a an appreciation now from boards which is where hr can really raise their influence as well if they haven't done so already which is the retention of talent now is so valuable for businesses they've realized i know as a recruiter how expensive it can be to replace it's not just the cost of replacing the individual in terms of recruitment fees and so on and so forth it's that knowledge walking out the door and we've got a you know whole companies now are changing the way that they they approach their i guess the whole environment and the whole work culture to, to keep those people in the businesses um, i'll be interested to know just what we've got the opportunity to do so i think it makes absolute sense for you to tell us a little bit about simply what you do and, and how your business is helping hr professionals make this skills gap or uh, closing of the skills gap a little bit simpler for people 
Yeah, look, happy to, obviously. Um, so simply get results uh, as the full name of our company and our, and our website states, and we call ourselves uh, simply. We're a skills intelligence platform. What, what does that mean? Data, insight, tools to help your company and your workforce identify and secure the skills you need to be successful in the future. I'm going to break that down into two types of thing. For the most senior leader, that really is insight and tools to help on that on that most strategic journey. Um, at a corporate level, what are the critical skills that are going to make this business successful next year and the year after that? Where are the skills gaps in our workforce? How might we best close those through, through build, buy or, or other talent strategies? So at the senior level, that sort of help. Secondly, that then breaks down to its component parts. And this is where every member of the HR leadership team has a role to play. You know, in recruitment, when you're clear on the skills gaps you have and the skills needs you have, simply provides insight and tools to, for example, open up new pools of talent, identify sources of the skills you need, look at the supply and demand for those skills and the cost associated with those by location, for example. So some very specific and important need to have jobs simply sure. will help your recruitment people to, to do more quickly and easily. And, and we mirror our set of tools then across the HR leadership team for the tools for L&D leaders to be developing talent and career paths and then closing skills gaps more easily um, and so on from to, through to, for example, HR business partners having the insight they need to support their leadership teams in the business. Amazing. So just out of interest and just a thought sprung into my mind here, and maybe I'm going a little bit off piece, so tell me if I am and correct me if I'm wrong, but could you use this, the, some of the insights you give as well to support other agendas within the HR framework? So things like looking at patron transparency, gender pay gap reporting, you know, using some of the insight and data, which does link, I would argue, into it's not just skills, but skills relate to pay. And I don't know if people have been utilising the technology in, in that way. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. 100%. Look, it, it all joins up, doesn't it? The, the people agenda, skills, pay, and, and so on. It all joins up. The reason we kind of break it down into its parts is to just make it understandable. Sure. If, if diversity is your agenda, then then diversity has a, a, an element of the skills associated with the role and the pay associated with that and the gender or the ethnicity or the ability of the individual and so on. So, so yes, it's all part of the equation. You mentioned pay specifically. And look, there's a a rising but quite early view out there in the world around skills-based pay that we're very actively looking at. It's quite meaningful. If you look at how much you pay for a role, a role is broken down into skills. And guess what? Those skills don't come at an equal price point. So what is sure. driving the price for an individual for a role? Is, is, it, is it a single skill or a combination of skills? And you then start looking at, gosh, how, how often is that skill used? Because if an expensive skill is used 10% of the time, arguably maybe you're overpaying. So skill-based pay is a, as an increasing area of, of focus for ours, yes. Yeah, that makes total sense. And of course, sometimes um, you do you want to pay over the odds to get the individual or is it cheaper, actually, or more cost effective to train that skill once they're in sight? I mean, there are certainly ERP programs that mentioned them now that some clients for us will come to say they need a specific system to come into this business. It's absolutely essential. But actually, the price of having that knowledge 
puts that individual in a totally different price bracket. And yet all the other skills, as you say, are the same. It's just that that system that, that elevates it. And it might be cheaper in some instances to say, actually, let's bring the individual in. They're capable of learning that system as they go. Or maybe we can invest in a course to bring them up to speed as opposed to paying so much and committing to that basic salary right off the bat. Um, and we see that regularly as recruiters. Something that was interesting, your website encourages companies to, and I'll quote, drive growth by using data to bridge the gap between your business goals, your people and their skills, something which you articulately put just a moment ago. But tell me, how can companies, perhaps they're not utilising simply yet, and they've got their own tools, their own data, but how can they use data and technology to ensure their workforce has the skills to succeed, not just now, but in the years to come? I'm just aware of how quickly everything's advancing at the moment. Absolutely. Look, things have changed dramatically and things continue to change at pace. So there's an element of trying to trying to track that. We always encourage our customers and, and everyone we, we speak to in the market to take a sort of outcomes-based approach. Not all things are equal. So what are the key outcomes your organization seeks to achieve? And therefore, what are the key skills and capabilities that you want to be on top of? They could be some very niche but highly influential skills, or it could be that there's a large volume of skills that you need to be on top of. And I think both of those things are relevant. So how do you keep track on how skills are changing in the market and in your organization? You do, you do two things. You, you do need market data to have a look at the demand and supply for skills in the market. It's very available. It simply provides it. So do other uh, tools and organizations, as, as you know. And it's enormously useful to be keeping track on what's changing. More than ever now, in the last couple of years, so few things have gone in a straight line. So much has changed that the combination of those changes means the value of keeping track on changes in the market dramatically outweighs the costs of keeping track of it. It's sure. essential right now. You've kind of got to be. So if there were one thing, it would be be looking externally and, and, and making good use of market data to keep, keep a track on external skills. The flip side of that, obviously, is looking inside your organization. What do we have and how is that changing? Companies are, are struggling with that because of a, one limiting belief, which is you've got to ask everyone what skills they have. And, and that's a, a painful exercise for anybody that's ever been through it. It can take years. It's famously inaccurate and, and out of date by the, by the time it's done. So again, there are tools available, Simply provides tools, for example, to infer the skills you have across your organization based on all the range of job titles you already have. So there's things you can do to be more on top of the skills market outside your organization, your skills landscape inside your organization, making sure those two things join up. Amazing. Well, it leads me to ask a question then, really, because we know that the larger the organization, potentially with the more employees, going to the likelihood there'll be more job titles, more complexity around it, particularly if they've gone global. You have worked with some major corporations in your time delivering this business work. I wonder if there's any case studies that come to mind that perhaps you could just tell our listeners about just to bring this bring this to life a little bit in, in a real world example. I, you know, I don't know if you can give a client name away or if you can give us an example. I think it would really help just cement where this process can start and finish and, and, and some of the results that you've seen. If you don't mind, I, I will point some people at our website to go look at the case studies that are on there because they're sure. written up, got customer quotes, and then they can read them in their own leisure time. And I'm not going to name any names sort of uh, live with you today, if, if you don't mind. A, a couple of things that spring to mind. One is a question that a lot of organizations are asking right now is about the location of their people and skills, whether that's just optimizing cost, which is increasingly on the agenda right now, or it's looking at location of facilities or even which countries their workforce sit in. So we, we've we helped a number of organizations look at the supply and demand of skills and costs, either across the UK, for example, if you're thinking about your UK sites, or internationally, if you're thinking about your, your global footprint. 
And it's just one example of using data to answer some really fundamental questions about the nature of your workforce, where they should be located, what skills you need, how much you pay for those skills. So location selection is, is one example there. And I, I know I've chosen not to name names. I could easily... No, that's fine. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes so people can find those uh, those case studies for themselves. That's that's cool. It was just to get a bit of a... Just cement the idea, really. I guess, I mean, you've given an example there, a strategic example of where someone might utilise the service. You know, you're talking about different locations, understand the footprints. Let me ask a broader question then. How can HR leaders use everything you've said today use that information to take a strategic approach to skills management across their organizations? What's the step-by-step process you would recommend they undertook to achieve that? I'm going to advocate an outcomes-led, top-down approach. There's different ways of doing these things, but starting with the stated organizational strategy and plan, where is your business going for the next two, three, five years? Breaking that down into the capabilities that are required. In plain English, what do we need to be good at? If our goal is to grow in X or to or, or to lead in Y, are we absolutely clear on the capabilities around that? Could be customer experience, could be product innovation, could be something else. And breaking those capabilities down into their associated skills. My favorite bad example is we need to be more digital. That's not very helpful. Digital is a word that means so many different things that actually to articulate what we mean by a digital capability will be different in marketing or finance or sales or, you know, any other part of the business. So being just being being clear and articulating what that capability really means, just just using the words of your organization, your business, your employees, your customers to say the capability means, for example, every customer touch point generates great customer feedback. As, as an example, you know, what do we mean by customer success or customer experience? My, my, my top of the head example there was terrible, but articulate <laughs> what we mean by a capability. And then, as I say, breaking those capabilities down into skills. There are, there are tools to do it. You can do it yourself manually. We use uh, skills frameworks and taxonomies to be clear on that. And what that gives you, what that framework of strategy, capabilities and skills gives you is it gives you a guiding force for everything you do next. So which of these things are most important? How are we doing on those skills and capabilities? Do we have enough? Do we not have enough? Do we see that those are changing the market or remaining static? Are we gaining or losing people and skills in in that area? And in order to make sure we have the skills that we need for the future, should we be hiring or training some combination of those things or, or what else should we be doing? So by mapping strategy to capabilities to skills, and putting that in the skills framework, it gives you the foundation for an awful lot of really useful stuff. Yeah, really interesting. Okay, fantastic. So I have to ask this question. This is from my own psyche and something I'm really keen to, to understand is what are the, the future focus skills that employers should be considering investing in now? Yeah, so look, I'm lucky that we have access to you know, a very deep database of not only historical skills changes and trends but 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 future forecasts so depending on on where you look you're going to see different things in the in the tech space we see aggressive growth in in cybersecurity in um, technical disciplines like devops and devsecops you know really really technical things so it does depend skills growth skills um the things that are going to grow versus the things that are going to decline they vary per discipline so i can't give a blanket answer but I guess what I what I would say is that all projections say that the skills crisis is going to continue, whether you're listening to the World Economic Forum or, or, or anybody else. This is not something that has passed its peak. We are at the start or perhaps towards the middle of an ongoing skills crisis. So whatever the specific skills are that you care about, now is the time to be getting a grip on those. I think it's probably true to say that 
you know, economic constraints are likely only to worsen. So that balance of skill versus cost is going to be something that the organizations need to continue to focus on. And and again, for the skills that matter most in your organization, looking at that balance of skill versus cost will continue to be something very important. Mm, that's interesting. You mentioned earlier as well, and I want to make sure I don't take this off on a tangent or, or make myself my own view too vocal here. So I'll try and be careful how I phrase this. But you mentioned earlier you've got a, a passion for sustainability and it, it, it helps supporting ESG systems, but also neurodiversity. Now, I've seen certain tech companies, I'll be careful, but I'm not naming them, although I think it's in public press, I probably could, who have been using or, or trying to broaden their, their reach for um, supporting those that are neurodiverse. But the roles that they are actively trying to recruit them for are roles like coders and, and very much positions which would support spe- specifically that type of neurodiversity in, in that instance. But are you seeing that, that companies look at, you talked earlier about widening talent pools, does, are they considering things like neurodiversity? Does it come into diversity and inclusion as well in terms of where they access these talent pools to try and generate the skills that they need? Is it is it just a broadening of, of, of a talent pool or does it do they get right down into the specifics of actually there are certain people that are neurodivergent that we can we can really utilize because you know that we could they could support us in this area or that area? Mm, yeah, look, I think there's two or three things going on. So ab- absolutely being able to employ effectively a more neurodiverse workforce does open up new new pools of talent. I mean, that's objective. In the autistic community, for example, something like 80% of autistic people are, are not gainfully employed or employed in work that they'd like to be. So, yeah. th- and there are, you know, famously, uh, as you say, you know, tech companies, hedge funds and others that are, that are employing people with incredible skills who also have preferences or needs around around their working environment. And so what they're doing is they're embracing and understanding that and they're getting a great advantage for the company in terms of accessing those skills, providing a great advantage to the individual who otherwise would be lacking employment. And the third leg of that is, of course, doing a good thing for society in, in you know, improving the well-being and employment and uh, future of, of all of those people involved. So I really enjoy and, and, and I get a lot of pleasure and satisfaction from, from contributing to all of that in some way. Super, fantastic. Well, I'm glad I asked the question. And last but not least then, uh, just what, what can companies do? You've talked about it a lot, but just want to reframe it, just finish here before we open the vault, to do to really support their journey to becoming a skills-led organisation. What would be the next step? Straight off this episode, they leave, they leave listening to this and they go, right, first thing I can go and do to implement this to support my journey, becoming a skills-led organisation, what would that be? Look, I'd probably encourage them to to ask the simple question of what does that mean for me and my and my business to be really quite selfish, because everybody's version of that skills journey will be slightly different. They've, they've got some common features, but each individual listening to this should, if they want to, you know, take a moment. What does being skills led mean for 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 me and and my company? What what might it mean? It might mean some of the things that we've touched upon in in today's conversation, Nick, around being clear on the skills and capabilities that align to your your strategy. It's highly likely to to mean a a bunch of that. It might mean being clear on the skills we have today in the organisation at the right level of detail, which might be quite high level, just about red, amber, greening, where we're strong on skills versus weak on skills. And as a result, being clear on skills gaps. It might be something about prioritizing those skills gaps for action, and it might be something about delivering a a, a talent strategy around recruitment, training, or some combination of those things to close those skills gaps. I'm saying I'm saying it might be, but but the key question is, what does being skills led mean for you and your organization? You know, as we go into the next year, what's it likely to mean for your organization next year? Where would you like to be at the end of the year? And if you can articulate that, there's a way of getting there. 
Fantastic. Well, a great way to, to close off uh, those questions. We're going to open the L&D vault. Uh, three short, sharp questions for you, Simon. Opening the L&D vault. If you can give one piece of advice to the world, what would it be? Forgive me if I get somewhat philosophical here, but I'm going to say, look at the balance of the things you enjoy. Look at which of those you get from work and which of those you get elsewhere. And be very conscious of, of where you find joy. Those of us that are lucky to find joy at work, wonderful, embrace it, get more of it. Most people probably get an awful lot of their joy outside of work, family, friends, music, dancing, swimming, whatever it might be. So be conscious of those things because the combination of that makes up your life and the more conscious you can be of the things you enjoy, the more likely you are to A, do them and uh, B, enjoy them while you're there. Absolutely love that. It's the perfect response. I'm glad you had a chance to think about it before you answered. Second question, if you had the opportunity, what advice would you give to a younger you just starting out in this new world of work? Yeah, look, I enjoy mentoring and trying to help younger people earlier in their careers. And, and we employ a bunch of younger people at, at Simply, and I'm really proud of, of, of how we help them. What advice might I give people? I think, again, think about yourself and what you enjoy and what you like and try to find a good match between things you enjoy and, and the work around you. There's no, I'm afraid, there's no um, alternative to a bit of hard work. So sorry if anyone thinks they're going to get an easy ride. And if you're, you know, looking at YouTube or TikTok or whatever and saying you can do this and you'll be rich tomorrow, I think that's very unusual. I, I wouldn't believe that too much. And, and I think you can be clear on where you want to get to. If you're prepared to do it, do a bit of hard work. If you're prepared to, to listen and learn and embrace those around you, you're highly likely to, to get there. Absolutely love that. And last but by no means least, what's the guiding principle or behavior that you see in every great leader that you've worked with? Oh, my goodness. I mean, leadership is famously different from, from different great leaders to what people need. So I know it's a little bit of a cliche, but being yourself, being true to yourself, whether you're, you know, uh, forgive my generation, but whether you're Richard Branson, who people may or may not like, but 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 he was very bold and, and, and aggressive and ambitious. And as I say, people may or may not like that, but it's got him a long way and perhaps a lot of people around him through to someone as wonderful as um, Martin Luther King, who, who stood exactly for what he needed. And so they might not be the best examples that I've plucked from my head, but all great leaders that I've ever admired along the way have been true to themselves, their beliefs and, and their view on the world. And I, I, I hugely admire that. Fantastic. Well, I can't argue with those two examples. So uh, absolutely fantastic. Listen, Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure having you today on the HR and podcast. Of course, for those who've been listening and enjoying this show, I will put links in the show notes to a couple of websites. One, of course, uh, to Simply, where you can find out all about what they do. There's a Simply Get Results uh, page. I'll also put a link into the Simply LinkedIn profile, as well as Simon's LinkedIn profile and a Calendly link. If you are interested in connecting with Simon, booking in some time with Simon to talk all about this, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And I'll also going to put in a little article from Red Thread, which just gives you some information on skills reports and new platforms, which I think you'll all find interesting. So have a look out for that in the show notes as well. And of course, if you are an HR L&D professional listening to this show and you need support with an HR, HIS or L&D related vacancy, and you'd love to work with a specialist HR recruiter, then please do get in touch with either myself or any of my wonderful team at JJ Recruitment. Again, the link will be in the show notes at jjrecruitment.com. Uh, and if you want to go to it now, because you haven't got time to check the show notes for whatever reason, uh, it's simplygetresults.com. 
www.cyberhackingmonday.com. So do check that out. Just leaves me finally to say thank you again to Simon Haynes for joining me today for a really fascinating insight into those the skills gap and the, the war for skills. Listen to this again, take notes, and then start implementing those steps that Simon pointed out. So thank you ever so much for joining me today, Simon. Thank you so much, Nick. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.